We've read and we've looked at already the first six verses, but I want to read them for context today because I think it's important. I want to speak to you today about patience in the Christian life. And uh, a lot's been said about patience. We'd all like more of it, I, I think. Perhaps, I know I would. But we, we need to read verses 7 and 8, which is where our, our thought again will be focused today. We need to read it in light of and in the context of the first six. And so let's read this together if you have your Bibles, would like to follow along with me. James chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who are, who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. And here in verse 7, James turns his comments and his attention back to his fellow believer. And he says to them, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Of all the virtues that modern life has negatively impacted, I think patience is at or near the top of that list. The modern conveniences that we have. This morning, um, I wanted something warmed up to eat. I threw it in the microwave and 30 seconds later, I I had what I needed. Um, So, the phones that we have and the information that is immediately accessible to us that one day would have taken weeks or months to to dig out. I think the modern world that we live in has has dealt a blow to the idea of patience. But this today that I want to bring to you is not is it's not a rant. I don't want to present to you what isn't news to you. Uh, the message today won't be a lament about the lack of patience in the world. Um, I'm more interested today in the impact that the loss of patience has on us as followers of Christ. And that's where I want my focus to be. That's where I believe the Lord would have our focus to go this morning. And that's where my interest lies. And I would ask you at the beginning, do you consider yourself a patient person? Some people do, and some people are relative to others. But would you consider yourself a patient person? Really, that already begins a long list of other questions. Well, what do we mean by patient and patient compared to what? But do you, if you were to be asked that question, and and you can answer it in your mind, do you consider yourself a patient person? And, And I would say to you today that if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a believer, if you're a a Christian, if you're one who longs to please God, then you've been called to be patient. All of us, whether we consider ourselves patient or not, patience is a virtue that is to accompany our lives as followers of Christ. If you are to successfully follow the Lord, you need to learn 
patience, and so do I. And that's one of the hardest lessons of all to learn, I think, is patience. But again, what does it mean to be patient? Why must we be patient? For how long must we be patient? And what exactly is it we're waiting on and being patient for anyway? If we are to be followers of Christ as he would have us to be, and if we are to obey what James, inspired by the Holy Spirit himself to write, said, what does it mean to be patient? How can we be patient? And I think James answers all these questions. And we read the first six verses because verse 7 says, Be patient, therefore... And as we've always said, and others have said it as well, when you come across the word therefore in the scripture, you need to think, what is it there for? And it's there because it's in light of these rich who were evidently taking advantage of and abusing and persecuting the followers of Christ, the believers. James is writing to them, and he's, he stops for a moment in those first six verses that we've spoken about in a sermon before, a couple of weeks ago. And he told those rich, he gave them a very clear warning. Now he turns his attention, though, back to the believer. And he says, be patient, therefore. Well, what does he mean? Because then of what we read in those first six verses, because God has already announced judgment against the rich who are abusing the believer, and the world will do that to us as followers of Christ, Paul told Timothy that if we live godly, we will suffer persecution. And as we suffer that persecution, we need to be recognizing the fact that God has already committed a sentence against them. And his judgment has already been announced. This therefore, then, refers back to the fact that the brothers to whom James is writing have been persecuted and abused by these rich that he has just warned. So, because of that judgment that God has already handed down against the rich, James encourages his fellow believers to be patient. One of the Christian or one of the requirements of the of patience in the Christian life is a is a right view of what's actually happening in your life and what's actually going to happen. And, and these rich, these that were abusing the followers of Christ, they might have lost sight of that. And I think in our own lives, we sometimes lose sight of it too. And in order to be patient, it helps us to be able to see the world and what's actually going on and what's actually going to happen one day instead of what appears merely to be happening. In our lives today, it appears as though the enemy has a massive upper hand on God's people. It appears as though the ungodly way of life and the the dismissal of God's word and the dismissal of God himself, it seems to have an upper hand. And, And I'm afraid that in some ways that might be an accurate assessment of the situation of our life. But in the midst of all of that, we are called to be patient people. Patient people have an awareness of what's actually happening. They can see beyond the immediate and what's right in front of them. And for these believers, James encourages them and says, in light of what I've just said about the rich, when he says to them to weep and to howl, for judgment is coming upon you. He turns now back to his fellow believer and he says to them, so be patient. And when we have a right view of what's actually happening and what's going on and what's going to happen in the world, it it helps establish our patience in the Christian life. 
So when our spiritual vision, when we aren't able to see spiritually the way we need to, as our spiritual vision erodes, so too does our patience, I think. When we don't see rightly according to the Word of God, we don't see our lives or judge them or assess them the way God sees them and assesses them, then I think patience follows. Our patience just wavers when our spiritual vision gets obscured. As our spiritual vision gets obscured, maybe by the attractions of the world, we want the riches of the world and the comforts and benefits that those riches seem to bring, and we want them right now. We want them today. We want our reward now in this life and rather than the reward in the next one. That, that's often how we approach our lives. We rather trade eternity's reward for today's that is passing and temporary. And we will make that trade because we've lost patience. We don't endure the trials that we are called to endure. We want our reward, as I said, now in this life rather than the next. We are often willing to sacrifice our eternal later for our temporary now. We are often willing, I say that again, to sacrifice our eternal later for our temporary now. What we want today trumps what we desire would desire if we were seeing rightly and simply willing to be patient for what is coming later. We want heaven and the next world's splendors while we remain here on earth in the world's brokenness. And we, we lose patience when we don't experience it, when it doesn't happen. But sometimes our patience and even our spiritual vision can be obscured by persecution. Open or subtle. And I would say that for most of us, probably every one of us here in this world, in this place, the persecution we face is mostly subtle, not entirely. It's growing. We worry about the clouds of persecution continuing to gather and being free to express a belief in God and to live according to the dictates of what we believe God has said in His Word about all kinds of things. We worry about that, whether the you know things will continue to trend in that direction. But whether it will or not, I don't know because I cannot see the future. But sometimes persecution can have the effect of removing from us the patience that we are called upon to have in our life. Whatever that might be in your life. Whatever that Satan or even your own flesh or just the world in general because of its fallenness is mounting against you and pressuring against you, sometimes that can threaten your Christian patience. And I want to encourage you today, as James did these people in the, in the past that he was writing to, be patient therefore. Because of what God has already decreed, be patient I believe the enemy, Satan specifically, I believe he has, and I believe he is forever engaged in the attempt to beat out of the Christian his or her patience. He wants to remove it. He wants you to, to not understand this concept that, he is, that James is trying to tell us. Now, in Ecclesiastes, I want to read these verses to you. They're important, I think, in light of this. In Ecclesiastes 8, just verses 10 through 13 the writer of Ecclesiastes says, Then I saw the wicked buried. So these that James is talking about in the first six verses, 
The writer of Ecclesiastes says, Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence, and here's the here's the, the hint to us as followers of Christ, particularly maybe in the world in which we live. Have you ever seen anybody do something wrong and get away with it? You ever seen the world do something wrong and they appear to be getting away with it? And that eats at you? And it, 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 it begins to erode your patience? Well, listen to what Ecclesiastes says hundreds of years before James says a similar thing. He says, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, which is a, oh, of course, all he is saying is because something, when somebody does something wrong, that sentence or judgment against that does not come quickly. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before Him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. Remember, as we read James, that James, as we spoke in, in, in times past, was a well-known and well-respected Jew follower of Judaism until he became a follower of Christ, he would have known this verse and these verses in Ecclesiastes very well. And perhaps he thought of them as he wrote this to these believers when he wrote. The scripture, I will say to you, if you struggle with Christian patience in your life, if patience seems to constantly be something you are struggling with, particularly in light of your belief and your faith and your trust in God, if that is true, I would suggest to you today that the Scripture is an effective tool to keep your spiritual vision clear to then be able to be patient in the midst of your life and your trial and your following of God. If you... It will help, this, these scriptures will, it will help you see what's actually happening now and it will remind you of what's actually going to happen in the future. So read your word, read the Bible, read it daily, make it part of every day of your life. I will go so far as to say to you today that I think it will be next to, if not impossible, to exercise the kind of patience that God calls upon us to exercise if we are not filling our minds and hearts with the Word of God. I think the enemy will know that. I think he will try to keep us from reading it in all kinds of ways. Our own flesh will tend and long to do other things in our life, but this book will keep your spiritual vision clear, and when your spiritual vision is clear, your patience will be advantaged significantly because whatever's happening today, whatever's happening right now, whatever trial has come, your spiritual vision is clear to know what's really happening, what's really going on, and what one day ultimately is going to go on and happen, and your patience is bolstered in the midst of that. Trying to live our lives with patience required, that the patience that's required of the Christian without the habitual reading of God's Word, I, I thought of, I think it's kind of like trying to drive a car without any fuel, without any gas. We can climb in the car, we can sit behind the steering wheel, we can press the gas pedal, we can look in the rearview mirror, we can check our blind spot, we can turn the wheel, we can do all of the things that are necessary or apparently necessary to drive a car and sit completely still and get nowhere. 
And trying to live our life as a Christian without daily being in the Word of God is like doing that. It's like climbing in the car and looking the part. And looking very similar in a lot of ways to others. You ever watched especially those old movies before they had the technology that they do today? People would pretend to be driving in a car and you could tell just by looking at the movie that they weren't going anywhere and how they were just pretending to be that. And I wondered how many times in my own life or maybe in yours or others that their entire life, they're never going anywhere. They're in the car. They look outwardly very much like a person who's living a Christian life. And yet they're not getting anywhere. They're not going anywhere. They're not moving. They're not maturing. They're not changing. They're not learning. They're not today more edified and aware and able to help others than they were the day that they were saved or the day that they began to try to follow God. I think, I think this is what trying to live the Christian life apart from this word does to us. I can tell you that not just because the word kind of tells us that. I can tell you that from experience. Even as a preacher, some may say, well, you've got to preach a sermon and sometimes teach a lesson every week. Of course you're reading the Word. Sure. But if, if the only time I'm reading the Word of God is to prepare for a sermon, I'm missing the mark. This needs to be feeding me every day and it needs to be feeding you every day as well. And this Word will not only help you go where God wants you to go, it will help you to be patient in the midst of the trials, not that you might face, but that you will face. Not that may come along your way, but that will come along your way. You, you live in this life very long at all, particularly as a follower of Christ. You're going to run into things that are going to be hard to deal with and hard to take. And you're going to need this word to be a shield and to be a buckler and to, to be a light to not only your path to where you're going, but a lamp to your feet to show you where you really are. So that your spiritual vision won't be clouded by the things of this world and the cares of this life only. And those cares are real. But they're nowhere near as real as the cares of an eternal being that God has made you. And as you then are able to see more clearly that I'm not talking about is it well with my soul now merely, though that is incredibly important. I'm wondering is, my, is it well with my soul a thousand years from now? Not only is it okay with my children today and are they going to be able to live a successful life here? Are they okay and is God watching over them a thousand years from today? And, and when we then get these, these troubles, these trials that come our way in this life, we're able to see past them. And they don't derail us. They, they force us and they throw us back upon God and His Word. So don't be living the Christian life as somebody who's just sitting in a car and going nowhere. Are you making progress in your Christian life? Are you moving or are you sitting motionless? And by the appearance of others, maybe it looks similar in your life to the way others look, but you know deep down. And by the way, if you know, if, if you know something deep down, so does God. He knows it better than you. But you know deep down, there, there's not movement. There's not movement forward. Some people think, and I don't want to get into this because I think there's some things that are beyond us to fully comprehend here. 
Some people, though, they think you, you get to heaven, you've crossed the finish line, you put your feet up and you enjoy gold streets and, and reunions and feasts. I, I find that to be utterly boring, and I think it would just get so old so fast. When you step into heaven, you begin life as God designed it and intended for it to be in a way that we can just begin to see. But here, are you moving forward? Are you, are you making progress? Are you adding to this idea of patience in your life that you can withstand it and you can endure the trials of your life? Are you making progress? Or are you sitting motionless? I suggest to you that if you are motionless, number one, you're not alone. <laughs> Don't let the, this is where the enemy loves to begin to whisper in our ears and take the baseball bat and hit, hit us up against the head. What God will do is he will encourage, he will correct, and it will hurt, and it will chastise, but it will be to draw you to himself. If that's the case, I, I just encourage you to go back to the basics and start reading the word of God more than perhaps you are today. Now, recognizing the need of scripture, let's, let's consider and meditate on what verses 7 and 8 tell us. And, and, and our, our visitors were warned, I can go long, I will try not to today. What does patient mean? You know this. Many of you do. This is such a challenge for us as followers of Christ. Many have taught on it, and that is good, and we've read about it before. But just very basically in the Greek, patient here, it means to demonstrate patient despite difficulties, to be patient, to remain patient, to wait patiently. Trials and difficulties not only try our patience, but in a very real sense, we can't be patient without them. You ever thought about that? You, you can't be patient without trials. It requires a trial to be patient. And so if God's called us to be patient, what then has he told us? You're going to have trials. Jesus told us that. Don't be surprised. You're going to have tribulation here. And, and it's a fallen world. It's, it's broken. It's broken here. We broke it, Adam and Eve did. When, when they turned from God, the one command that he gave... Don't eat of that tree. And, and many again will say, well, why did he do that? If he knew that that was going to cause them to die, why did he ever leave the tree there? Because he wants you. And he wanted them to choose not to eat of that tree to show their love and obedience and submission to their God. That's why he did it. Without the tree, they could not do that. And so he gives to you and me today very similar uh, 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 challenge, I should say, or a very similar command. Love me more than anything else. That's what I want. And, and when he calls us to that, when we add these trials, and Jesus said, you're going to have trials here in this life. Be patient. Endure them. And, and we endure them by the presence of the Spirit of God in our hearts. It's not made up. It's not a whim. It's not a, it's not a I'm just going to dedicate my life to be a good person. Good luck with that, first of all. Good luck. Because a good person is a good person inwardly. Not just doing the right things outwardly. And God has to clean that stuff up. You can't and neither can I. But the Spirit of God can. The blood of Christ can wash us and cleanse us. To be patient as we come back to our thought here. It is to be steady and to, be, to endure those difficult times uh, that, we, that we confront in our life. So that's what patience is. How long are we to be patient according to James? Are we there yet? <laughs> if you're in the car. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? How long? Until the coming of the Lord. That's how long. Until the coming of the Lord. Be patient. 
Am I to be patient in the day-to-day activities of my life? Has the Lord come yet? No? Then yes, you're to be patient in the day-to-day activities of your life. Am I to be patient even when I face the most difficult challenges of my life that threaten to rip from me everything I held dear in this world? Yes. You're to be patient even then until the coming of the Lord. Am I to be patient when everything in life seems to be pushing me to just give up? Yes. Yes, yes, a thousand times, yes. You are to be patient in the midst of that trial. Be patient until the coming of the Lord, until you see Him come. He's not going to set foot back on this earth according to what we read in Thessalonians, but He's going to come and He's going to gather us to Himself. Be patient until then. And you might say, why don't we have to be patient then? Because then it's all done. Sin is no more. Burden is no more. Separation is no more. Heartache is no more. He himself is going to dry our tears and we're going to be with him. But between now and then, be patient. What if I live to be a hundred years old? Am I to remain patient for a hundred years? Yes. Yes. Whatever's going in your mind right now, am I really to, am I, God, do you expect me to be patient in this? Yes. And I don't even know what all it might be. But I can tell you the answer is yes. There will come a time when our patience is no longer required. But that day is not today. It's not today. And so today we must be patient. But not idle. Patience is not idleness. Don't confuse that. Some people think patience and they think of that word and think just sit there and do nothing. We just kind of wait for God to change absolutely everything. We're going to say in a moment, we've got to wait for God to do some things, but we're not idle. And James gives us that beautiful picture here when he says, be patient. And we'll talk about the farmer in a minute, but be patient. One of the things that I like to do in reading and study of the scripture is to be very aware of the the words and and it's particularly where the verbs are and did and you do see do you not that be patient is a verb this isn't this is something we do we're not idle we're patient far too many times though we think of patience as sitting around waiting for someone or something else uh, to come along or something else to happen our walk with christ in this life is not an idle life it was never meant to be idle Our lives are never meant to be idle. He gave Adam and Eve a garden to tend. He gave Job and Abraham herds to watch over. He gave David a flock of sheep and then an entire kingdom to shepherd. He's given you in your life things to do. Responsibilities to fulfill. He's giving you things to do. Our life is not to be idle. God has given each of us something to do with our lives. Life is meant to be lived actively, striving to complete the tasks God has given us to complete. Being patient for the coming of the Lord does not mean that we stand around gazing up at the sky or being idle or or coasting. And I thought of, and I won't take the time to read it, that verse in the 11th verse of chapter 1 in Acts where the angel says to the, the, the disciples, the apostles, as Jesus has ascended into heaven and he's gone, And they're still standing there looking up at the empty sky. And the angel says, what are you doing? 
What are you doing gazing up into heaven? Have you ever found yourself gazing up into heaven when you should be moving and pressing on? And he gives us this beautiful example James does of the farmer. The farmer is patient for the rain, but that does not mean that he is not busy planting and caring for his fields in the meantime. In a similar way in our lives, we are patiently awaiting the return of the Lord, but we are to do so busy and active while we wait. In this we see, I think, another key in how we can remain patient in our lives. When we become idle, you know what's interesting? When we become idle and, and, and distanced from actively striving to follow God and to walk with Him in this life, when we become idle, our patience begins to erode. Because why? Because all we have to do, all we're doing is sitting there waiting on God to do something when He's given us a work to do already. The waiting is much easier when we are actively pursuing the one for whom we are waiting. But when we stop pursuing Him, that patience begins to erode in our life. When we become idle, our patience is sure to, weak, to weaken. Idleness in this way and impatience are almost always found together. They are frequently a matched pair. So if you find yourself impatient, you may start to ask yourself, what am I doing? How am I pressing toward the mark that Paul talked about? The prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. How am I moving forward? How am I learning? How am I sharing with others of the hope that I have in Christ? How am I praying daily? God, help me to be, to be better. Not, not so that it would be oppressive to others, but because I want to be a light for you. Because of what you've done for me when you saved me. And you gave me the hope of heaven and you've sealed it and I know that it is well with my soul. What am I doing to press into that and to, to move forward in that? The farmer doesn't just simply sit around idle. Certainly not. He waits for the rain, but he mends his fences while he does. He waits for the rain, but he prepares his fields to receive it. He waits for the rain, but he does not expect God to plant the seed for him. You know, there's a, dif there's a difference between trusting and testing God. Sometimes people say, I'm just trusting God, when really all they're doing is testing Him. There's a difference, and we have to find that line. There's not an idleness to the Christian life that God is pleased with. The farmer, yes, he waits for the rain, but he takes care of his equipment as he does so. So then, patience in the Christian life is one of the ongoing activities that we must be engaged in. It's effort. And we do these things while we are ultimately waiting patiently for the coming of the Lord. We do not let idleness turn into impatience. Sometimes I don't know that it's patience that we lack as much as action and activity in the right direction. But this, this patience, this farmer, he does wait for the things that he can't bring. The rain. In Israel, and no doubt in many other places, it's similar throughout the world. In Israel, those particularly, they waited for the autumn rain before planting, and then they had to wait and hope that the spring rain came and would bring that grain to maturity before harvest. And so the waiting, this is a thought I want to hope that I can 
can get across as clearly as God has got across to me, the waiting's never over. There seems to be something of a continual loop of waiting. If the rain came in the spring, as soon as the spring was over, the waiting for the fall rains would begin. And once the fall rains came, the waiting for the spring rains started. And it's just this constant loop. We wait for the Lord in one season of our life. And he comes through. Maybe not in the timing or in the way that we expected or wanted. Maybe, maybe, some, maybe sometimes he withholds the rain because he knows what he's doing. But maybe he does and he comes through for us and, and he, he, he gets us to the other side of whatever the trial is. And, and it seems as soon as you get past, or, past a trial, it's like there's another one on the horizon and the waiting for God begins all over again. And sometimes that loop can itself become a temptation for us to just quit and, and give up. And we can think that this is a harsh way for us to have to live. Why would anybody choose to live this way? Some people wondering why this thing has to be. And, and the reason is because it keeps us dependent upon God. And, and that's a good thing. That's the, the purpose of it all. We get through one season of our life and a trial and then we're able to finally rejoice and thank God for His goodness and His faithfulness and it seems that the waiting for another trial just begins right away. I don't think though this is a bad thing. Because remember, what is it that we're waiting on? We're not, sometimes we think we're waiting on something. Something. You're not. If you're a child of God, you're not waiting on something merely. You're waiting on someone. Christ the Lord. We can think about, and, and that can distract us. We, we're not merely waiting for something. We're waiting for someone. The reason we can grow weary sometimes in the Christian life and fail this test of patience is because we begin to think that we're waiting on something when we are not. Listen, the Christian hope is not heaven. It's not. It's not heaven. The Christian hope is not an easy life. The Christian hope is not a good job. It's not easy relationships. It's, it's not that we ourselves would become great people. It's not that, that we would have anything in this life other than Christ and Christ Himself. The hope of the Christian life is Christ. That's the hope. He is. For Him we wait. According to this I found in, I think, in the New American Commentary. I love this quote. For Him we wait. For Him we endure patiently the trials of this life. For Him we live and for Him we die. For Him. We're not waiting on God to do something. We're waiting to be with God. And if you're waiting on God to do something, your patience is probably going to be tried and tested mightily and you may fail the test. But if you're waiting on God, then you can have what it is that you desire because He can and is present and near there is much for us to do there is there's much for us to do but through all our doing we are waiting on God to do the things that only he can do all that activity of the farmer will never substitute for the rain 
all our reading of Scripture then. Listen, I encouraged you earlier and I, I, I stand by it. Read this book. Read it every day. Make it, make it the, a daily part of your life. But also understand that no amount of reading the Scripture is going to substitute for the working of God in your life. And to follow Him and to know Him. We are active, but we are actively waiting. Waiting on God to do what we cannot. When He decides to do it and whether He decides to do it. Because He's already told us what He's going to do. I'm going to bring you to me. One day I'm going to bring you to me and we're going to be together forever. The gates aren't going to need to be closed. There's not going to be anything that's going to come in to steal or break or destroy or cause burden or loss. The light of the city is going to be my son himself and you're going to enjoy life as I intended for it to be. That's what he's doing, but we just need to wait on that for a little while here. And in the meantime, what are we to be doing as we work toward a close? We're to be, as James says, establishing our hearts. He says, to wait, therefore. So verse 8, you also be patient. Establish your hearts. The word established, it's to cause someone to become stronger in the sense of a more firm and unchangingness or unchanging attitude or belief. So it is to be unchanging. And particularly in light or in, 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 in a, a, the context of, of, of a negative trial or a difficulty in life, to, to establish this to, is to become stronger. And what are we to establish? Our heart. Establish your hearts. Which is, according to the Greek definition, the, a person's psychological life and all of its various aspects is how it's defined. But So our mental, our emotional, our spiritual, our physical, all of these things that make up this complicated thing called the human being, that heart, that inward person inside, that 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 derives what happens outwardly, but, but is hidden sometimes, establish, make that stronger. Improve it. Establish your hearts, James says. This is the thrust of all of our Christian activity. At least it should be while we wait on the Lord. The establishment of our hearts. All of our reading of Scripture as I've said and written before, when I do think when, when you open this book and, and you turn its pages, there's nothing virtuous about this paper, this leather, but this book is dear to me because the words are dear, because the one who wrote it is dear to me. And, and not only is he dear to me, he's God. And so when I open these pages and, and I look, I do think, and I don't want to overstate this or be dramatic, but I, I do think there needs to be a little bit of a, okay, I'm reading words that God wrote. Not merely a nonchalantness about it, and, and, and not a reverence again in the sense of turning the Scripture into what it isn't, but realizing that this is the word God has written to me. And, and let me ask you this, because some do struggle with this, and sometimes we can overstate things or say things in a way that are, might be misleading. If someone is, is far distant from you, and in the age of cell phones and FaceTime and Facebook and Twitter and all of it, you, you can in seconds be, quote, face-to-face -face with, with just about anybody in the world. 
But back in the day, when that wasn't the case, and, and maybe John Adams, as he gets on the boat with his son John Quincy to sail to Europe, uh, you'd never know if you were going to see them again. And if something happened to them, you might never know what happened to them. And then you get a letter, as John and Abigail would often write one another. Don't you think that letter would be precious? Of course it would. But what if they were together again? You, you think John would say, Abigail, just don't bother me. I'm reading your letter right now. Just, I, I want to read your letter again. No, he put the letter away because God's there. The letter would be no less dear, no less important, no less uh, encouraging, no less precious. But Abigail was there. That, that's what we hope when we read Scripture is that, God, I, I want to be in your presence. I, I want to know you. I, I want to be with you. And he's given us this book while we're here on this side in enemy territory, in fallen land, to establish our hearts. This thrust of all of our Christian activity, the thrust of all of the reading of Scripture is to establish our heart. The thrust of going to church, it's to establish your heart. When you walk through the doors of your church, may there always be a prayer, God, help me that this would be an effective use of time and establish my heart establish it make it stronger to endure with patience the things that life is throwing my way all of our christian habits and work is meant to establish our heart all of it to become stronger and more firm with an unchanging attitude in the face of trials all this all this to be so in the deepest, all this is to be true in the deepest and most inner part of ourselves. It's not fake, it's real. It's not made up. If, if somebody pulled everything away from you and they were able to see everything about you, they'd see the sin they'd see the weakness. They'd recognize it. But they would also see a desire to be with God and to know Him and to walk with Him. And that those weaknesses, they vex you as much as they vex others. They, they hurt you because you know it hurts your walk with God. It's real. Our patience is not built to impress people or to be to put on a good show. Our patience is there whether anyone ever recognizes it or not. Because he does. And he's the one that we desire. One of the things, and I'll close shortly, one of the things I I greatly admire in older believers, and many of you know I was able to travel multiple times to various places with Brother Paul Bryson. But him and others, I don't want to put him on a pedestal. He'd be the last one. He'd be slapping me if he were here to be talking about him in this light. But I greatly admired him and do still. Weather the storms and, and endure those storms of life and, and those trials that they face and they remain true to God through it all as they establish their hearts. I just want to read this rather than try to remember it the waves of life that would beat out the hope in many 
They crash into these that establish their hearts. They crash into them like they crash into all others, but once the spray of the waves that have been crashing over them clears, they are found unmoved, settled, and unchanging in their attitude and belief in God. If I could reach the first rung on that ladder, I'd consider myself in a good place. As the weather and the storms of life beat against us, when that wave clears, I'm impacted. I may be drenched, but my heart is still established in God. And I'm holding on to Him and holding on to nothing else. And in the midst of that trial, patience wins the day. Remember the Lord's coming is at hand as I close. Forget this. If you forget this, then you've forgotten it all. Doesn't matter what else you know. You forget that, that he's coming. That is the true north of the Christian life. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the star by which you guide the ship of your life across the waves of the world. He's coming. You forget that. You won't have any hope of patience. You forget that. Your patience will come to an end. You forget that and all your activity will very quickly seem pointless. Remember that, James says. It's at hand. Patience in the Christian life. I pray that God would give me an ounce more today than I had yesterday. He'd give you an ounce more to put up with the likes of me and others so that we might together love one another and encourage one another as that day approaches, which is what Paul told the Corinthians, I believe. Patience in the Christian life. May God increase it in all of us. Pray that the Lord would uh, speak to your hearts today. Let's have some.